going to be in the book of Corinthians. We have been on Route 66, and we're, we're, we're taking a scenic byway, okay? We're going to slow down the pace a little bit. We're going to be about the next nine weeks in the book of 1 Corinthians. The first four of those, we're going to be talking about our identity as a church. We're going to use this letter to a particular church, which in its first four chapters has some great opportunities for us to talk about from there what should be the case, what our church should be about. All right? So that's the next four weeks. And then from there, we're going to carry on in the book of 1 Corinthians, just because there are several, after Paul lays that foundational work about the essentials of a local church, then he begins to respond to questions they had asked him about, issues that have been raised, things that have come up in that local church as they're trying to live in their new identity. These are some things that have arisen. And it's things that bear a remarkable similarity to the kinds of things that arise in our trying to live together as God's church today. So the same kind of issues that we face are the kind of issues that are in 1 Corinthians. So we're going to get to talk about some of those along the way as well. 1 Corinthians is a terribly encouraging book for pastors. Whenever you're thinking like... Oh, things are just, uh, this has come up in the church and this is happening or there's this trouble or that and you're feeling discouraged about the situation in the church, read 1 Corinthians and you will say, whew, okay, it may be difficult pastoring in Vancouver or Seattle or L.A. today, but it's not quite like pastoring in Corinth. They, we have some of the problems, perhaps. They had every one of those issues arising. And so it's a book full of issue and opportunity then for us to learn how it is that we can walk with our Savior in the midst of a godless world. Now, I, I should um, explain something about this book before we go further. We're going to be using this this morning. And the opening page is, this is our BP Foundations class, our BP Church Foundations. This is uh, what we would also take a, a, a person new to the church that wants to know more about Brush Prairie Baptist, BP Church. You want, what is this church about? This is what we'll use. So you're all going through our orientation class in the next four weeks. Isn't that exciting? You're all going to be together. We're going to be of one, of one heart and of one mind together in the gospel. That's wonderful. I'm getting excited about that. All right. I hope you are too. Where do we come from as a church? There's a, there's a church history in the first couple of pages. You can read through that, and, and it shows the fullness of church history from the very beginning to Brush Prairie Baptist. Nothing else matters. All right, you'll, you'll be able to read that. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, um, a, a statement of faith. What do we believe? Exerted, it, this comes right out of our church bylaws. This is our official statement of faith. If you want to know what does this church believe and teach, here it is. And uh, then we'll get to page six. There's an explanation of our logo, and along with the logo in the box underneath, God's new work. That does not say God's New York. It says God's new work, all right? We don't want the church to look like New York. We want the church to look like God's new work. And that is unfolded for us very nicely in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So that's where we're going to be this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to be confronted with, reminded of a new identity that we have in Christ. If you're a believer in him, you are part of his body, part of, of the church, part of the household of God. You have a new identity. 
If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You have a new identity. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a new unity in living out that new identity together. We're going to be talking about a new shared purpose. So before we do all of that in just a few brief minutes this morning, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you, Lord, again for giving us your word. You have given us the opportunity to know you through it, Lord, and that's why you've gathered us here again today, to be reminded of the gospel, to speak the gospel one to another, to be reminded of the truth of Jesus, our Savior, and who you make us in Christ. Father, we we will again proclaim faith in Jesus. We will again look at what then that looks like as we rub together and as we move forward together into this community around us. Father, would you speak to us? Lord, you know what we need to hear this morning. You know what you have from us, for us, from your word. Lord, would you open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your word this morning. Speak to us, Lord. Be present in our midst. By your spirit, we ask it in Jesus' name. And all who agree said, amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find us on page 952. If you're using your own Bible, I am Very happy about that, but I can't tell you what page you're on. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first nine verses. Grasp your new identity. You're not who you might think you are. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God has done something new in the world. God has done something new. He's created a new entity, the body of Christ. He has created a new family, the family or household of God, it's called in First, in First Timothy chapter 3. He has called and set apart people as saints, as his holy ones, ones that he has set apart for a unique purpose in the world to show his grace, to be together trophies of his grace. God has done this. God has done a new work in the world, even in a place like Corinth. Now, Corinth was one of the, what you would perhaps say, one of the most godless of the cities in the Roman Empire and in the, in the, in the, in the overall Greco-Roman world in the first century. In fact, if somebody was acting especially immorally, scandalously immorally. If, something was do, if somebody was acting in a way that was just... It was said that they were, were Corinthianizing. 
To act scandalously was to Corinthianize because Corinth was known as that kind of place. It was a place where anything might happen, anything might go. And in the midst of that city, God created a new community, a, a, a gathering together, an assembly together of believers and followers in Jesus Christ who were different, who were unique, who were new. And yet as you read the book through, you find, well, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait a minute, there's, there's a lot of problems in this church. In fact, this church is a bit of a mess, and yet Paul starts out not confronting the things that aren't right. Paul starts out reminding them of who they are in Jesus Christ. That's very important. And it's good for us to rem- be reminded at the start, not what, it I- what is it that I'm falling short in, where is it that I fail. It's good for us to be reminded right at the start, who am I in Christ Jesus? Who has God in Christ made me to be? We need to step into that reality. So, as he, as, he, as he unfolds that, this, this new identity, it's an identity that's not fully realized. As I told the kids, it's a, it's a, you see some of the family resemblance already, and yet it's not perfected yet. It's still miniaturized, if I may. And, and we're growing into it. From glory to glory, 2 Corinthians 3 says, that God is transforming us into the likeness of his Son by the power power of the Spirit working within him. But look what he says about them already. From verse 4, I thank my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you. God has given them his grace, his unearned, undeserved favor. Not only is grace God's favor, that they have been put in right standing with God because of Jesus Christ and his death for us, but... That's God's enabling. It's God's power. The grace gifts, the spiritual gifts that we're going to talk about later on in this book. In fact, that'll be our fifth week. We're going to, as whole church still, consider spiritual gifts and how we serve with them together in the body. And there are issues in this book with spiritual gifts, but what Paul is thankful for right up front is not, he doesn't talk about how they're being misused. He talks about that God has given you every grace. All this grace that has been given you abundantly in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and knowledge. You know things you didn't know. You see things new the way you didn't see them before. Your speech is different, okay? It's not perfect yet. And sometimes when you poke me unexpectedly, some speech gets squeezed out of somewhere that I didn't expect. Yeah, why did you nudge him just then? What was that? But, and yet, we speak new. And if we are, the more we are filled with, controlled by, under the influence of the Spirit who dwells within us, to be filled with the Spirit is to speak new, is to speak giving praise and giving thanks and giving way or yielding myself to God's work and what he would have me to do. So to be filled with the Spirit is to sing to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual, thing, uh, spiritual songs, and to give thanks with your heart to God. That's, that's new speech. And that has been given to us in Christ. You are enriched in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ is confirmed among you. There has been a transformation. There has been a change. And there is confidence and hope when we look already and see some of what God has done. That's what those 
older folks at that Scandinavian Vasa Lodge were saying when they said this five-year-old boy, you look so much like your grandfather Lars. They were seeing bits in me already of what would be as I grew and matured. And don't you get excited when somebody begins to follow Christ and they, and they take some of those first steps of faith, baby steps of faith. They share their confidence, their faith in Christ with somebody else. The first time somebody says, I believe in Jesus to another. Don't you love that? The first time somebody makes a decision about what they're going to do that isn't necessarily what they most enjoy doing, but they're basing it on instead, this is what God wants me to do. This is what's going to please God, so that's what I'm going to do. And they take that first step into it. Doesn't that just get you excited? Oh, boy, that just, that just, oh, that's, that, and it, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a parent in those First steps, or that you have a baby book and you have all these firsts, right? First words, first spit up, first, all these firsts are there, and every one of them is exciting. Now, the fourth or fifth spit up, not such a big deal anymore, but the, all the firsts, you know, you, you spend the first couple of years teaching them to, to talk and walk, and you spend the next 16 teaching them to sit down and be quiet. But, <laughs> So maybe it wears along the way, but the first, those, those, those steps, that, that confirming of the testimony, the glimpses of the fruit of faith in Christ that you see beginning to shine out in the life. That's what he's talking about here. In the least perfect of churches, Paul said, I thank God when I see that. You know what would strengthen us as a church? You know what would just make this place dynamic? If we spent more time pointing that out and giving thanks for it than we did criticizing where, where we see different ones not quite measuring up. If we were to encourage and nurture and foster and support and give thanks to God for those glimpses that we get of his work, his testimony being confirmed in the lives of one another, man, it would just take off. Maybe that's one thing that we could do, just step into all the more. Celebrating that the work that you're seeing God doing and confirming in each. He said, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. Yeah, in fact, he said they carry that maybe way too far later on, but they're not lacking any spiritual gift. He already suggests that each one is gifted and each one is needed in this body as you wait for the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Corinthian believers were in a very inhospitable culture. They, they knew what it was like to be in a culture that does not respect and honor or appreciate your faith and what you stand for. The conduct that your faith calls you to is not celebrated in the wider community. The Corinthian church understood that. They said, you keep it up. You press on. You keep going, waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ and the vindication that comes there. This is a game, brothers and sisters, that we will win. We already know what the final score is. We know how it's going to wrap up. We just don't know all the plays that are going to be run and the, the fouls that are going to occur in the midst of it. Okay, I had to get this in. Did you watch the game on Friday? And you don't have to ask me which one. I was sitting there. I was angry. It was one of those times when I was poked and less spiritual words came out. And... they. He wasn't out of bounds. 
the video made that clear. And, and, and yet, and then, then the, the fouls that occurred after that, before that other team, whom we won't mention, scores, the fouls that weren't called when the refs had a chance to make it right. And there we are with .9 seconds left, and we are going to lose this game, and we're going back to Houston. And then it happened. And we Christians said, glory, hallelujah, when really it wasn't a matter. It wasn't a matter of the gospel at all, but... We know how this is going to end. We know how, we know that our Savior is going to be revealed not as the suffering servant. Our Savior is going to be revealed and as He comes, as the lightning shines from the east all the way to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be in all of His glory and every eye shall behold Him. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and your faith so long ridiculed will be fully vindicated. We know how this ends and that gives us strength in the midst. That gives us confidence and courage in the midst. This is our identity in the risen and coming Savior who will sustain you. Who will sustain you guiltless. Now, we are not perfect. Some of you came this morning with guilt in your heart. You, you see this table set before you, and maybe, maybe you cringe a little because you say, I'm not worthy to take of that table. Folks, I'm not worthy to take of this table. Unworthy to eat of the table prepared. But love made a provision for me. The song says, so I will glory in the cross. The cross because his suffering was not in vain. Christ, I'm not worthy in myself, but I am worthy in Christ Jesus. My guilt is removed in Christ Jesus. Grab hold, hold on to, cling tenaciously to your new identity in Christ Jesus. Jesus, that you are a saint of God, a sanctified one, set apart by God for his holy purposes, made guiltless and spotless in Christ Jesus. There's no other way to be washed like that. There's no other way to be clean and acceptable in God's sight. But in him, I don't need to hide. I don't need need to withdraw. I do not need to consider myself unworthy because I need not consider myself in myself. I see myself in Christ, fully accepted in the Beloved. God is faithful by whom you were called into this fellowship of his Son. You are part of an exclusive band. You are part of the fellowship of the Son. You have access in the Son, Jesus Christ himself. Did Jesus somehow sneak back into heaven after his resurrection? When he ascended, did he go in the back door? No, 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 and neither do you and I, because we go in with him. We are joined together in the fellowship in his son. Are you in the son? That's the whole point. Everything else that Paul's going to say is predicated on that. The one who has the son has this life. He who does not have the son does not have this life. How do I get the son? Believe 
on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. A man asked Paul that simple question in the midst of one of those missionary journeys where the gospel went far and wide around the world and still does. The question was so simple. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be part of this fellowship of the Son? What must I do to be accepted before God? What must I do to be guiltless? Finally, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yeah. Grab hold of that new identity. And in that new identity, that presses, that invites us, that calls us into a new unity together because we, we share this identity with others. We are in a family together. What, what, what Paul calls in 1 Timothy 3, the household of God, the family of God, an extended family where each one has a part and yet we pull together in unity That's verses 10 to 17. I appeal to you, brothers, then. Brothers, family, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and of the same judgment. For it's been reported, I've been told by closed people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean is that each of you says, I follow, I, and it's emphatic here, I follow Paul. Somebody else says, I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas or Peter. Or I follow Christ. You know, those are probably the worst of the lot, you know. Oh, you want Peter and Paul. I follow Jesus. I'm a Jesus follower, not one of these other Paul, Peter, you know, the big guy. He's the one I follow. And all that, that divisiveness within, and where does it come from? What is it about? What is it about? There's the, I, I think the essence of it is, is personal identity. The essence of it is cultural difference. It is not theology. There is not this difference in theology between Peter and Paul and Apollos. Apollos learned what he knew from those who traveled and served and ministered with Paul. They're the ones who discipled Apollos. The theology isn't different. He, P- Apollos was in their small group, their growth group. Peter and Paul were together such that it was such a surprise when Peter slipped backwards into pulling apart with the Jews for the wrong reason in the Galatian letter. That Peter was the one that stood with Paul in Acts 15 and said, we cannot put any law legal burden upon these Gentiles who have believed. Peter and Paul were together. It wasn't theological differences. It was other cultural background difference. Peter comes from a a country boy Jewish fisherman background. Peter was not polished. Peter was Galilean. But Peter was not Gentile or Greek. Peter was Jewish Galilean. Apollos was perhaps a little more refined Greek. They liked, in Corinth, they liked Apollos' preaching better than Paul's. So Apollos was more of the, the Greek orator. Perhaps he had a little more uh, a Polish and culture from the Greek world. Um, Paul? Paul was the one who went far and wide, who traveled around among the barbarians. Something I learned early is missionaries are weird. I can say that because for a dozen years, that was us. And I look at some of the pictures in those years, and I say, man, those people are weird. 
I remember, remember catching that first when, in a small church in Mississippi when I was still in the Air Force, and these folks that have been in Italy for 40 years, and they hadn't come back to the States very often in those 40 years. They had been in Italy in 40 years. And I remember saying to myself, these people are wonderful people, but they're weird. Paul didn't fit. Paul could communicate, travel, and he knew the ins and outs of the Greco-Roman world. He had Roman citizenship. And yet, among the cultured, elitist Greeks, Paul was certainly a little odd. There were these differences among them. These, they're cultural differences, and we have that today. We have the Dave Ramsey Christians, the pers- World Perspectives Christians. We have the Oana Christians. We have the hymn-singing Christians, the contemporary Christians, the southern gospel Christians, and the Jesus-plays-drums Christians. We have the Jesus-would-dance and the oh-no-he-wouldn't Christians. <laughs> then we have the Christ party. I just follow Jesus. You, well, what do you believe? No, no, no. The Bible is my doctrinal statement. I don't have anything else other than just what the Bible says because I just follow Jesus. Don't those people just get on your nerves. If it's a setting apart of one to another, that ought to get on our nerves. Because, yeah, there are cultural differences. Yeah, there's a Peter and there's an Apollos and there's, and there's a Paul. And yet all together follow Christ. And Paul goes on. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, I thank God. This is a weird statement, especially to read in the Baptist church. I'm going to read it anyway. I thank God, Paul says, that I baptize none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Well, one of the reasons Paul says that is they didn't have heated baptismals back then. Pretty sure. No. So that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. I don't want you running around saying, I'm a Paul Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. I believe in Jesus. That's what I want you to say. I did not. Ba- I did baptize. Okay, yeah, I remember. I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What he's saying is this. It's not that he's saying that baptism doesn't matter, that baptism isn't important. What he's striking out to is the, the personality-centered cliques within the body that divide the body apart, that rob the body of its wholeness. When you have a little subset over here, a little subset over here, and a little silo over here, and these silos don't talk to one another, and it's easy to happen in a church, especially if you have a church where you have multi-people pastoring or in ministry leadership and you have this group of people with, are, are, are this person's and this group of people follow that person and this group of people identify with this people and you end up with these little silos and I've seen it. And I've seen it destroy the unity of a church so that the factions cannot connect together. It's easy for us to unite around our affinities. One of the places, and I say this not to pick on either group, not to pick on either group, but one of the places you see this most obvious is the differences in the body between our seniors and our youth or our students. 
You see, the obvious differences there in style preferences of all kinds of things, the activities they do, the, the music they like, the norms of their experience and their background, the music they want to worship by. There's so many things, even how you speak in terms of teaching and preaching and what connects and what doesn't. That's, that's an easy place to see these differences because their affinities, their own circles are so far apart in experience. And if those groups can pull together, and there have been times along the way in this church's experience where those groups pulled together in wonderful ways. And I would say we ought to make that an intentional focus because if we could pull those ends of the spectrum together intentionally, the rest of the church would have to come along, would have to join into that. So we will intentionally give in ways to give ourselves and our preference in ways that cause this. I love it when a young family shows up at Golden Heirs for that very reason. And, 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 and these grandmas and grandpas get to enjoy these other kids. And I'd love to see the way they wrap around them like that. It's a beautiful thing. It's easy for us to unite around our affinities, the things that we have alike or in common whether it's age or experience or preferences or hobbies or interests. It's easy to unite about our affinities, but we have all of Jesus Christ in common. And if we unite around other things other than him, we are much weaker as a church. And we have lost our focus as a church. We miss our purpose as a church. Paul is not dissing baptism at all here. He's just saying not even something as essential as baptism should ever get in the way of the message of Christ and his cross. That is everything. And that's what baptism... Baptism wasn't for Paul. Paul didn't keep a notebook. I know exactly who I baptized and what they professed and when we did it and where. And I can, if somebody asks me later and asks me to send them a letter of baptism for transfer, I can do it. Paul didn't do that. Baptism was not for Paul and his record. He says, I don't even know who all there. Wasn't very many of you. And I'm glad for that, the way you're acting. Baptism was not for Paul. Baptism was for them. Well, baptism is important. It's important for you not to unite yourself to a particular pastor or church that you like. Baptism, baptism is important for you to step experientially into what baptism portrays. That I individually, personally, experientially share in Christ's death for my sins and his resurrection to walk in new life. That's baptism. And we, we, we're all reminded of it whenever one, a, a, a baptism is, is, is accomplished in our presence and we celebrate that again and we're reminded of our own baptism and we were there. And it's a one-time thing because I'm joined into his death. He died for me once and he rose and I am risen in him. And we, we celebrate the same thing at this table. It's an experiential. It's important. This table is important, but it's only important not as a nice table with some unleavened bread and some cups. It's, that's not the point. The point is this table is, again, a personal, a personal participation that I personally, individually take bread and a cup because I personally, individually have internalized Jesus Christ and his death, the giving of his body, the shedding of his blood for me. I take it for me. 
That's what we're proclaiming. We're reminding ourselves of. And even the flavor and the taste and the senses come into reminding ourselves of the gospel. That's what it's for. And that one church we all share together in one table, one Savior, Jesus. That is our identity. And that we have a unity in that identity that we celebrate. Finally, that pushes us into our purpose. The purpose is found in verses 18 and following. He explains what he means in terms of that the cross of Christ be emptied of his power for the word of the cross. This is our purpose. The word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who are lost, who don't understand it, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then he quotes Isaiah 29. And Isaiah 29 refers to those who do not believe, and it also refers to the fulfilled hope of those who do believe. When the believing will experience God's miraculous deliverance, the desert will become an orchard, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the meek will rejoice, the poor will exult in the Holy One of Israel. All of that is moving, is, is forward of this reference in Isaiah 29. You'll have to check it on your own. But that's what he's talking about in the gospel. The gospel is God's power. And, God, and it's, it's the promise, it's the surety that God is going to finish this work that he has begun. It is the gospel that saves, not miraculous signs. There's a movie out. Heaven is real. And heaven is real. Not because of the movie. The movie tells a story about a, a, a very young boy that has apparently a near-death or an out-of-body experience. He's there in the emergency room, and he's physically declared dead, but then he's revived. And when he's revived, he comes back and he tells his father that he saw things that he couldn't have seen from the emergency room or there, there in that hospital. And, and he says, I died and I went to heaven and then I came back and heaven is real. And it and, and goes on and the, and the book and thus the movie describes this, this, this story. And thus we can know that heaven is real. And you know what? Heaven is real. I don't mean to pick apart or analyze or, or, um, or, or critique the, the movie this morning. My, my point is simply this. I know heaven is real, but not because of that movie anymore. Remember when Jesus told the, told the rich man, he told the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man there in that place of torment, he asked, cannot somebody be sent to my brothers to warn them? And Jesus' answer is, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And if they will not hear from God's word concerning the reality of heaven and hell, then they will not believe, he said, even if someone were to come back from the dead. And it's Jesus who would come back from the dead who said so. That's why he only appeared to his own who already believed after his resurrection. Interesting, huh? That he... that. That he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Heaven is real, not because the little boy said so. Heaven is real because the son said so. Okay? All right, so we have this gospel, and whether it's believed or not, where's the wise, where's the scribe, where's the debater of this age? God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. Let's jump down to verse 26. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many among you were wise according to the world's standard. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God has chosen what is foolish in the world. Don't you feel better now? Aren't you glad they came to church this morning so the pastor could call you foolish? Innoble, lowly, and weak. There we are. 
What Paul is doing is saying it's all level ground at the, at the cross, folks. It's all level ground. On the same basis that I come to that cross, the same basis anybody else out there can come. There is nobody who's disqualified because of their ignorance or unworthiness. Because their ignorance and unworthiness is just like yours and mine. And God will take foolish testimony from the likes of us. You say, well, I, I can't witness. I can't persuade. We can't argue or prove anybody into faith. This is the work of God, and yet he's chosen to use us. You've got a story to tell. You've got a story to tell about how you believe in Jesus, and that's it. That's the story to tell. Tell that. Throw in John 3.16. Throw in the record of God's word, God's gospel, and it doesn't have to be exhaustive. They're going to ask questions you don't have the answer to, and that's okay. Say, I don't know that, but I know this. I know God has said this. And then give them again the gospel. As simple as John 3.16. As simple as what must I do to be saved? Philippians chapter 16. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's as simple as that. You don't have to argue or persuade or to have all the right answers. Don't wait till you do because you will not. The power is not in you and I. The power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is powerful. It's because of him. Let's jump down to verse 30. Why is all this so? We'll look at verse 29. So that no human being, none of us, might boast in the presence of God. None of us are here because we were bright enough, we were smart enough, we were good enough, we were clever enough, we were insightful enough, we were humble enough. None of us were enough of any of that. That no human being might boast in the presence of God. But because of Him, because of Him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts or glories or rejoices rejoice in the Lord. Our boast is not in persons. Our boast is in what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Those earlier verses in the start of chapter 1 that I already read. BP Church is a family in Christ. We have a new identity. BP Church is a family in Christ being changed by God's truth. We have a new unity together. That new unity is stepping into a shared identity together in practice. BP Church is a family in Christ being changed by God's truth, impacting others by His grace. We have a new purpose. It is the gospel. And let nothing get in the way of it. Would you pray with me? Father, we're going to come to the table now and celebrate that gospel. Father, as we do that, would you again, Lord, use these elements to proclaim your gospel, to preach your gospel to us. Father, we need to hear it again. We need to taste it again. We need need to be reminded that nothing in my hand I bring simply to your cross I cling. Father, thank you for that new identity in Jesus. Lord, that our people would grab hold of it. That we together as a church would know nothing else more than that. Father, thank you that we can live, that you take us from many different backgrounds and the glory of it is, is that it's Jesus we have in common. Oh God, help us to camp out there. Help us to settle in there. Let us lift him up so that other things fall aside and other things simply testify to what you've done in bringing us together. And Lord, let us be together in sharing your word. Father, I would pray right now that you would put on each one of us a person nearby, a person 
close at hand, at work, at home, in the neighborhood, somewhere near, who needs to hear from us again the gospel. Oh, Lord, by your mercy, by your spirit, do it. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all who believe said, amen.